Welcome back, folks, to episode 41 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, PhD in Health Psychology, licensed professional counselor, and an adjunct professor at a local community college. And today's principle that we're going to be discussing is endless variation, never surprised. And this is something that does stem from the martial arts um, ninjutsu in particular, and uh, Dr. Glenn Morris had uh, written about this in his first book back in 1994. But it's such a useful tool in self-regulatory skills because it has to do with not only perception, how we take information in from our environment, but also conception. How do we think about it? How do we interpret it? And then strategically, how do we use this to interact with those people we're interacting with so it has an application in the social scheme, how we interact with folks in the day-to-day. Now, since it stemmed from a martial art doesn't mean it's only about I have to figure out how I'm going to smack somebody or punch them or defend myself, but rather it's more about being able to see that things are changing always and that change shouldn't be a surprise in the truest sense and that even though you may know somebody and you've seen how they act and they're pretty regular in the way they do things, understand that we as humans, we can always choose and we can always pick differently. And for instance, that I always give when I'm teaching is that, you know, you could be living with somebody for 30 years and let's say wife is making husband, for instance, breakfast, and it's always eggs and bacon and eggs over easy, cup of coffee, a little bit of milk, no sugar, that sort of thing while he sits and reads the newspaper. Now, this is an old time story that was always shown on TV shows when I was growing up. So it's a, an example that I'm familiar with. But for 30 years, this happens. And then one day in that 30 years, the husband says, I don't want bacon today. I want eggs and taters. And then the wife in shock doesn't know what to do. And her practice pattern over 30 years gets thrown into a loop and she doesn't know what to do, and it, it feels unusual, and it feels different. In the practical sense, this means that spouse is surprised and wonders, I've been doing this so many years, and there's an expectation, a belief in the fact that patterns never lie, in quotes, and I say never as an absolute, the way it's generally spoken in the common language. So why is this such an unusual task to, to address today? Because most of the time we get stuck in the patterns never lie assumption, and that is an assumption by a way, a working assumption that generally speaking does bear fruit, but not perfectly. And we have to understand that even after a long period of pattern behavior, if you will, if you're measuring the pattern, you have to understand that we can always choose differently. It doesn't have to be 30 years, and you can be surprised that, well, today they wanted potatoes instead of bacon. Well, you know what? That's okay. It's just a change. It's not a world shift, but whenever we weigh things on how regular and how common and how patterned our behavior is, then that's when we start making assumptions and driving by them, and we're not thinking. We take the thinking out of the sentence, thinking, and that, that's really what an assumption is. An assumption is a pattern or template or an overlay of pre-thought thinking that we're putting into the system so we don't have to think as much. And if we understand that energy expenditure when we're physically moving requires sugar to fuel that thinking, 
we do the same thing as if we're exercising. So we're being efficient, systemically efficient. And that is a natural tendency in humans that once we do something, we gain skill in it. Once we do something repetitively, we not only gain skill in it, but we become, at some point if we do it long enough, unconsciously competent, which we become very masterful, if you will, in the sense that we no longer have to think our way through and we can do it without thinking and it just becomes very smooth and almost artistic in certain things. So why is endless variation never surprised important? Knowing that we don't have to go into shop when things come out differently and we understand that when we deal with humans, anything that involves human beings, not unlike nature, walking out in the woods, you may run into something you didn't expect. You may experience something you didn't anticipate. You may have something occur that you didn't assume would occur. And that is okay. Often we get very comfortable with knowing when things are going to occur. And that is predicted. And we are a prediction machine of sorts. Our mind is anyway. And we have expectations based on patterns of past behavior that we consider reliable, and therefore we can kind of plan around those things. And our lives do have a lot that is predictable, that is reliable, that is expected, but it is not perfectly so. It's not absolutely so. Now, from physics, and I'm not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination, uh, we'll borrow a couple of terms. One is chaos and the other is entropy. And the third is going to be negentropy. Now, these are things that apply to systems of movement within the universe, whereas we have chaos and we have a tendency towards going in the direction of disorder and disorganization as we would experience it or try to measure it. And then entropy would be what is going on within a system that is impacted by that chaos, so to speak, that is in continuous motion. So the more chaos you have, the more entropy that is occurring. And that would be motion, so to speak, but not settled, but with a tendency toward disorder. But yet we have the anti-term to chaos and entropy, and that would be negentropy. And that has to do with whenever we start moving towards congealing or what we'd call order or orderliness within a system. So if we were to measure humans, since there is actual teeming physics type stuff going on within us at the atomic level, we would be considered uh, not only a system, but uh, within largely what we would call the state of neg entropy, because there is a lot of orderliness, order, and we would say concretion of sorts at the physical level, because we can see ourselves as humans in a 3D sense, and we can experience other people at a distance and concretely touch them and have a tactile experience, so to speak, when we reach out and shake hands, for instance. So why are these terms important? Well, along the lines of the thinking that a mathematician or a physicist would do, we understand that there is change in the universe. It's in constant flux. But we as humans, we're not so far from the macro. The macrocosmos moves that way, and we as the individual microcosms within the macro are not so different. We have things going on within us that are orderly, but there's also a sense of disorder that occurs. We can apply this principle of physics and mathematics as a dynamic whenever we're 
looking at social schemes. Whenever we have an interaction with people, we go somewhere and we have social time. We know whenever situations are generally following certain rules and guidelines and expectations, you go to a, a place where there's dinner being served. People are generally seated and talking and generally not being outlandishly odd and acting out in a way that would be disruptive of other people's experience while they eat. But yet, the potential for those things and uh, social media is replete with those <laughs> recordings with people's cell phones. We have wherever things are going in the exact opposite direction of that social orderliness where we can all kind of enjoy a, a pleasant dinner with family or friends and have a quiet and relatively uh, normal conversations. And we understand that we as humans can act in ways, even though it can be considered a decision point, it doesn't take it out of the realm of principle where we can apply the idea of the chaotic occurring. We see that whenever we have mob mentality unifying, and that is more a negentropic thing and that we start unifying in the direction of whether it be good, bad, indifferent, uh, a direction where we're all acting in a sense of groupthink. But yet in the chaotic sense, whenever something uh, occurs, wherever a group goes in all directions and there is no order, and uh, sometimes that can be dangerous as well as uh, the negentropic group becoming a uh, uh, solidified whole, unified somehow can be just as dangerous. So we have this idea, once again, that we can apply to social dynamics, how interaction with people is in effect influencing our behaviors and how we will go along and agree to be sociable, to be quiet at the restaurant and allow other people to eat and have a good time just as much as I want to. So it is a mutually inclusive assumption that is not mutually inclusive whenever somebody decides to not play by the rules, but it does impact us, so to speak. So in that sense, whenever we are talking about the idea of endless variation, never surprised. How does this apply to self-regulatory skill? Well, it does in these two areas. One is in the perceptual. And I'm going to give you a quick rundown on things that I uh, discuss in the podcast early on, just as a rehash of information that is really foundational and useful when learning to truly self-regulate and uh, that is going to be the idea of blood flow, blood flow within the body, the hemodynamics of cognition, also the hemodynamics that occur whenever we're under stress and fight-flight response, so to speak. So just a quick rundown, whenever we do have a level of stress, an elevation of stress, and this is going to be considered an, in quotes, average stress, we generally have a drop of IQ, about 10 to 14 IQ points, <laughs> Globally, average IQ is about 100, 105, which means that drops us to about a 90 or an 86 IQ whenever we're under an average stress, which means now whenever I was doing simple math, 1 plus 1 equals 2, it was really, really easy. It's like falling off a cliff or stepping off a curb. It takes very little skill. It kind of happens on its own because it's like gravity pulling us uh, whenever we have that drop in IQ. It has to do with the level of stress in our body and our body feeling environmental pressure or stress and maybe even danger for that matter. If something is all of a sudden or even shocking where the heart rate jumps, that means we have a variation of blood flow occurring. But it's not happening just at the cardiac level where the blood flow goes to the peripheral muscles. But actually, whenever it's considered stress and we start kicking in at the 
lower brain level and the amygdala signals danger danger then we have a requisite change in our blood flow to the brain our intestines and our stomach start to evacuate if it's a strong enough fear shock response some people have this oh my stomach or i want to vomit quality a lot of times that evacuation of blood goes from the stomach and from the intestines and it goes to the physical muscles because we got to be strong we don't have to be digesting right now if it's considered a danger but also the blood flow away from the brain also an organ the front part of the brain the prefrontal cortex just right behind our forehead whenever we smack our head it's like man i forgot that um those are the neurovascular areas that lose the most blood because the prefrontal cortex is not a survival first brain aspect we can use it during situations when we're trained under um, great duress like the military do and that's called stress inoculation where we can maintain larger amounts of a higher cognition but when the blood flow leaves that means we have less requisite blood sugar within that blood to fuel what we call our thinking and therefore we have a drop in our functional accessible iq what we call crystallized iq whenever we do intelligence tests and it goes to the muscles becomes that because that's the priority we have to be physically safe first you make safe first and it's not a decision we decide cognitively i think i better send my blood flow to my muscles so i can get strong it happens automatically at a speed that is much faster than our blink rate and it starts moving in that direction now whenever we have that drop in iq reasoning becomes harder being able to interpret facial body language and emotions becomes a little more difficult. We start losing our ability to pick up things physically with our hands in a fine motor sense skill. We can't pick up coins off a table, for instance. We have to start sweeping them off the table and catching them in our palm because we become much more not only skeletal muscle, but gross motor dependent in the sense dominant, I should say, because we need the blood to go to the big muscles so we can be strong, so we can run, we can jump, and we can fight if we must. But um, that also means that we get a little dumber in the process. It's temporary, and it comes back once the stress goes away. And I say it that way to make the point, but we're not nearly as capable with our intelligence. It doesn't mean you'll never be intelligent again. It is a transient state based on the level of stress in our environment and how it's impacting our body. Now, if you have an above average stress, and this is something that uh, Chris Voss in his book mentions, wherever we can lose up to 30% of the, the blood flow to our brain. And 30%, that takes us into the range of 25 to 30 points more or less of IQ drop because blood flow going to the skeletal muscles. Once again, we are skeletal muscle, muscle dominant at that point by default. That means we don't have a choice in the matter when we stress. Doesn't mean we can't exact choices, but it makes it a whole heck of a lot more difficult. And this isn't to be rude. I do work in the mental health field, but I am qualifying this to make the point what we consider the cutoff range for intellectual disability, what we call IDD now, used to be called mental retardation, was at 70 points of IQ. We start approaching that. If that is not your functional level, uh, wherever you've been tested, and let's say you test really super high off-the-scale intellect, when you're under stress, your intellect does not protect you against the physiological state of stress in an environment dangerous danger to an organism regardless and we get reduced down to our most basic human reactivity that our responses are no longer as complex and mindful as we wish they would be nor as strategic for that matter so 
These are some realities once again, so endless variation never surprised. is something to consider when we interact with people. You can't ever predict somebody's behaviors perfectly. Can you guess them and predict them to a large degree? Yes, assuming, and this is the assumption once again in quotes, uh, assuming that the environment is relatively stable and safe, you will see some relatively stable behaviors that you can consider predictable and then pat yourself on the back for reading people so well. And I am saying that with a great degree of sarcasm because we can to a degree do that. But even that will start to fall apart at the level of stress that the body uh, experiences that uh, we might be in fight flight. We're not able to interpret as well. But also whenever we have that kind of dissolution of skill we understand that it may not even be our ability to interpret but the fact that maybe the person that we're so used to in quotes reading and predicting is under a measure of stress as well and we may not know it and therefore it's impacting how they're choosing to react or behave which means if they like to drive by assumption because they're efficient human creatures as we are they're not trying to burn extra energy unnecessarily they're not trying to burn extra energy by their thinking processes, by doing all these mental gymnastics or even physical gymnastics. We want to get through our life with the least amount of effort, which is natural. And it's also our human tendency whenever we become skilled. Skill is about becoming more efficient and increasing our self-efficacy, not only in physical, but also in our interactive uh, social exchanges, this sort of thing. And we like hacks. We like simple. We like easy. We definitely like efficient. And we don't like wasting energy unnecessarily. So taking these things into consideration, if we consider the idea of endless variation, never surprised, how does this apply to self-regulatory skill? Well, it applies in this sense, in that whenever we're at the perceptual level, we understand what we see is what we're seeing. But when we judge it and give it uh, an, have an opinion that has emotion that is laden by what you would judge or categorize, then we've gone too far and we're no longer in the place wherever that principle would apply because we're at the level of social dynamics and expectations. And this is wherever we start seeing the mask of the polis, where we start seeing the mask of the marketplace, where we see not only the person's ego and act based on that self-image, but we start acting from our own assumptions of our own ego and self-image, and it tends to cloud our ability to see things as they are versus seeing them in the way that I wish that they were or hope they were or the way I'm interpreting them because I'm trying to be efficient and save energy versus really looking into things. So this principle has to do with not getting too hung up in our ability and our idea of how smart we are, how intellectually superior we are, and how strategically able I am to read somebody's body language and behavior, but rather perceiving things how they are. And I'm going to refer back to what we are like whenever we're babies. Whenever you have a baby, you have these little wide open, taken in everything like new universal eyes. Everything is a new experience, but everything is being observed as a whole, as complete, without judgment, without separation. That environment is not only not separate, but we tend to pay attention to the movements and those things that aren't moving tend to take a, a background to those things that catch our attention, so to speak. But at the same time, we're not judging them. We're looking at it all like it's new. And that really helps us in self-regulatory skill and that we're suspending judgment.
It doesn't mean you can't have your opinion or judgment. It just means, functionally speaking, you're not wasting time on judging things prematurely and assuming that you're correct, because what if you're not? You could make a judgment that could cause you danger in your environment, could cause you harm in your environment, or could cause someone else to be harmed or be in danger in your environment as a result of those assumptions, if you're not only driving for yourself, but even your kiddos for that matter. So understanding that change happens now, I said at the perceptual level and the conceptual level, how can I consider endless variation never surprised or the constant of of change in all things and constants never surprise? That means that, you know, if things don't always pop up the way you generally see them going, the trend, so to speak, it's not anything to get offended by. It's not anything to say, well, I was wrong and somehow you're bad or less than because you didn't predict perfectly. Well, chances are the most perfect prediction you can make is that you assume that things can change, will change, and at some point probably will. And there are environmental pressures that often we are not aware of that may have preceded your interaction with a person, for instance, and you may not be aware of. We don't know what goes on in the mind of another. We're not aware of what goes on in the life of another And often we don't know the role that we play. Sometimes we're the environmental pressure in the lives of another person. So being compassionate, being patient, and listening well. Also, listening is a physical skill. It's not just hearing with your ears, but uh, what the Chinese martial arts and Tai Chi in particular call Ting Chen, hearing or listening. But it's also feeling a sense of that the body experiences that often we tend to stray away from because we get so heady, so up in our heads. It's a surprise to me that sometimes we don't tip over because we're walking around like a bobblehead doll with all this knowledge and information that we become ungainly in the way we interact and we become very insensitive to not only other people, but even animals and our environments and what goes on. And then we wonder why people took advantage of us. Part of it is because we're so stuck in our heads sometimes that You can see it, that people are so high on their own thoughts and thought processes that they're unable to interact very simply with environment. And environment sometimes includes people. And there are those that are out there that are more than happy to take advantage of somebody that looks like a victim, that looks like somebody that's so involved in their phone or they're looking into whatever is going on in their mind that they could take advantage of them because there's a gap in their environmental attention. So in summary, the principle of endless variation never surprised essentially takes us to the point where we understand that this is a way or a state of being where we're not struggling with assumptions that get in the way or not driving by assumption, but being aware, awake, and engage in what we would call our lives. So with this, I'm going to close and say thank you for sharing this quiet Sunday morning with me, and I'm glad that uh, you're still along for the ride. And uh, please like, follow, and share. And if you know anyone that could benefit from this podcast, please give it to them. If you know anyone that you don't think would benefit, give it to them anyway, if you don't mind. I would greatly appreciate it. And certainly I'm glad to see that this podcast is global in all areas of the world, and I get such excitement just reading to see where this podcast has gone. And I'm hoping that you're sharing it with folks, and I'm hoping it benefits you in your corner of the world. And most definitely, I want to say thank you again for the time and the attention. And if you have any comments or feedback, please write to me at runningmangetskillsproject at gmail. 
And if you send me an email, I will respond to you. Let you know how I'm doing in my little corner of the space. And we'll talk to you soon. Walk well.